Well, if you have a Bible, if you open to Luke 2, that's where we'll be reading this morning. Um, We've already stood and read a section of it, and we're going to focus in on one verse amidst the section that we read already today. But it is good to be here with you this morning. Um, Today, uh, in our Advent series, today we've lit the candle of peace, and peace is uh, sort of this elusive thing in life. And so if you've been around here a lot, we... We don't tend to kind of create this environment that there's like some world that exists that doesn't have struggle and trial, right? That, that, this world is full of struggle and trial. Anybody know it? Raise your hand if you know struggle and trial. Um, it's real and it's all around us in our life. Now, last year I shared with you a story and um, I can't wait again this year. My grandmother always sends us Christmas cards and uh, in her Christmas card letter, she always writes the craziest things. Um, my grandma, um, typically whatever happened the day before she wrote her Christmas letter is what is contained in her Christmas letter. And a picture that is most recent is also pasted on it So a few years ago, she sent it, and her head was bandaged up from a fall, and her arm was in a sling, and that was her Christmas picture to us all. And then she will write, typically, about her cats. And so that's my grandma's Christmas letters. And uh, uh, as funny as she writes those letters, always contained in them is the trial and struggle of life. And it's a real thing around us all. And so this morning, when we think about peace... Peace is something that transcends the trial and struggle. The peace that is written of in Scripture is something far beyond just the, the, the normal circumstances of life. It is the peace that endures through the struggle, the trial, and the storm that is our life. See, I believe that there's a temperature gauge in our life to understand where we are in regards to peace. And it's contained in sort of the opposite of peace in it's in fear I don't know in your life if you have any fears I would guess that if you say you don't I'm about to prove to you that you do right and so in our life we have fear and this is just a few there's many more but a few ways to gauge this and so in society start big what are your fears In society, what are your big fears? The things that grip you and you say, everything's going to fall apart if this or that happens or doesn't happen. See, in society, we are overwhelmed with fears. If you've watched the news this week or last week or ever in your life, it's sort of their job to startle us and make us afraid because then what do we do? We watch it, right? The weather channel, like, that gets us all the time. It's going to be the worst storm ever. It's like my grandma talking about every storm ever. Like, it's going to be the worst storm ever. It's going to take out everything. And so what do we do? We, we get afraid. We get interested and we engage, right? But in society, there's all kinds of fears that surround us, whether it's political, whether it's local, all kinds of things engage in this fear, which sort of fear sometimes pushes out, right? Peace. In your relationships, we'll get even, we'll just get tight. In your relationships in life, there are fears. You may have come in this room, your husband, your wife may not know it, but you are deeply afraid right now they're going to leave you. It's been underneath your relationship for a really, really long time. If they really know me, 
they really made sense of it, they'd, they'd be done with me. It's true in our relationships that the people where I work, do they really like me? What do they think about me? How did I come across? I don't want to be like this, but I am like this. This person's always mean to me, and I'm so afraid to go in and talk to them. Fear is around us in our life. And then to take it even maybe like a step closer to home, just simply personally and how we think about ourselves. Is my life going to matter? Have I done anything of any significance? Will I ever overcome this or that? Or maybe it's that time in your life where you look in the mirror and you say, I really don't like the person standing in front of me. I say all those things because I've had fear in every one of those. And I believe you have too. But I believe in scripture, there's a peace that we can have that endures all of these things. A peace that no matter what is happening in societal upheaval, I know that I have a king who rules and reigns and who is in control and who cares for me. In my relationships, I know that I have a relationship with a God on high And it doesn't really matter what this person or that person thinks of me, but it matters what he thinks of me. And I hope how he thinks of me shapes in how I treat these out here. And I hope that's enough and sufficient for me to live in my life at peace in my relationships. And personally, knowing that I don't have what it takes. I am not all things to all people, but I am cherished and I am loved by the God on high. And he is shaping me and creating me to be something far different than I ever could have shaped or made myself to be. See, peace is something I believe that we can have and that will transcend our situation. So let's dig into that today. In Luke 2.14, we're going to read a familiar verse, I believe, for many if you've been around the Christmas story very long. Um, it's the angels, and it's their declaration After the birth of Jesus, they go to the shepherds and they make a declaration, a song. Now, a song or this declaration is not odd to angels. Angels have done this for all time and eternity before God. And as we read this, I just want you to know that the first phrase in this verse, the angels have been singing for a very, very, very long time. And they will for a very, very, very long time, like eternally. But the second is new in this text to their song. So it reads, 2.14, Glory to God in the highest. It's the song of old. Glory, glory, glory. Holy, holy, holy. Glory to God in the highest. But here they say, On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. At the birth of Jesus, something significantly changes in time and history. And the second part of the verse is the peace that now can be ours in Jesus. Their song is proclaiming what is possible in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, reveal truths in this text. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that how you have, you have ordained every single word. That every piece of it can instruct us and settle our souls on what is true what is right, what is good. And so, Lord, today, 
Would you help us to settle our souls on what is true, what is right, and what is good? And from your word, from the mouths of these angels, would you teach us what it means to find peace in you? Lord, we love you. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the the greater narrative that's happening in this text is that, right, it's the Christmas story. This is the classic text that we read. I we read this on Christmas Eve, typically. It's, it's a story that we, it's, the, it's kind of the, the full breadth of the story. And so Jesus, right, is, he goes to, they go to Bethlehem. Jesus is born in a manger. You read it in the song. It's actually probably a cave. And so if you were messed up in that song when we were singing about caves, it probably was a cave. It wasn't a barn like we think of it because we, we put our context into their context. But their context is their context, not our context. Are you with me on this? So this is how it worked. And so, so Jesus is born and and then there's, there's shepherds out in the field. The angels go and they pronounce that the Savior is born. And then they erupt in a song and they say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom he is pleased. And so in the text, right, there's a substance of the angel's song that, that it is instructive to us in how we ought to respond to God in our own lives, how we ought to live our lives. And so this is, let's get outside of just this kind of the Christmas story and know that the Christmas story has impact on our story, that, that the angels and how they respond have impact on how we live our lives today and what God, God wants and desires from our lives. And so the first thing that we see in the, the angel's response was an upward devotion. So if you're following with us, there was an upward devotion. It say, say, glory to God in the highest. So glory to God, right? It's putting God in his place. And so this word glory, it is a word that is weighted, right? It's, it's a word that is always, it always has weight to it. And so example, and the easy example is when you look at something magnificent, right, in our world, right? My father-in-law this weekend was talking to me about how they went to Branson, and then outside of Branson, there's this lookout that overlooks Table Rock Lake, and he goes, when you go up on it, you are, you are struck with just awe how magnificent God is. I don't know if you've ever seen anything in nature or anything in this world where when you just get a look at it, it is what a word we'd use is breathtaking. Well, that has the same idea of glory. It's weighted. It makes you stop in your tracks and go, whoa, that's big. It's, it's, it has the idea of heavy right on us. And so when he says glory, what he's saying is that God is, God is the heavy one. When we come to him, when we're before him, there's something heavy and weighted about him. Glory to God in the highest. And it's sort of redundant. Glory to God, it's elevating him. And then it sort of elevates him again that he's higher than anything else. Glory to God, the creator, the sustainer, the holy one. Glory to God in the highest. There's none above him. All are under him. So there's an angelic response to the birth of Jesus. Now, by the way, these are real angels who came to real shepherds in a real field to pronounce a real savior who was really born to cover our sins and to set us right with God. And so their response is glory to God in the highest. So there's, again, a response to the birth, the life of Jesus, but this also 
tells us, and as the shepherds did, so ought we. There, we must respond with our own lives to the fullness of the person of Jesus to God. There's an upward response with our lives. See, that response, we see it played out in multiple places in Scripture. In Acts 20, 24, we see the Apostle Paul, and he'll do this at different points in his life and ministry, but he says it like this. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice that phrase at the beginning. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. See, I believe that phrase is a phrase of a man who has caught a glimpse of the glory of God. See, when you catch splendor, when you catch something magnificent, are you thinking about you? Or are you thinking about what you've caught a glimpse of? You're, you're not thinking about you. You're not thinking about your life. You're not thinking about what to do next. You're thinking about the one who you've caught, the thing you've caught a glimpse of. And in this, what we see is Paul. He's caught a glimpse of God and his glory and his worth and his value. And his response is glory to God in the highest. Or another way to say it, this is not about me anymore. This is about him, the one who loved me so much that he gave himself for me. There's an upward response with our lives, an upward devotion. And then the second, there's an outward devotion, an outward devotion. So it says, on, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, in the ESV, as we translate it, this may be different. As some translations say, in peace on earth and goodwill toward men, this is sort of, all of it is right. This is the same idea. They're trying to conceptually, like the translators are trying to conceptually get across what this is saying. And so what, what is it saying? So it's saying peace has been made available, right? And on earth, peace. There's peace that now is accessible to grab onto each and every one of us with our lives. There's a peace that endures the trial, the struggle. There's a peace and a remedy for our lives. And that word peace could also be a word salvation, deliverance to us on this earth. And so salvation, deliverance to those with whom he is pleased. And so this with whom he is pleased, goodwill toward men, just so we're clear, you cannot attain it on, yourself, on your own. There is no amount of good that you can do in this world. There's not enough stained glass. There's not enough kneeling benches. There's not enough penitence. There's nothing you can do or I can do to set myself right with God. Only through the person of Jesus Christ can we have the pleasure of God on our life. Jesus came to bear our sins to set us right with God. So peace has been made available. But isn't it true in our lives that we have many pursuits of peace in and of our lives? Now, if you've lived long enough, you know that when you begin to pursue certain things that are going to get you peace, you've made enough mistakes that you know those empty wells, right? So I don't know, maybe uh, think back, maybe for some of you a long time ago when you started dating a boy or a girl and you thought, my life is going to be great because I'm with them. Garth Brooks said it like this, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, right? This, this person, 
that you thought that if, I, if I'm with them forever, my life is going to be great. And you went to your 20th class reunion and you went, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that I did not go down that road. We try to find peace all over the place. Peace in these empty places is, there's another way to call this, and it's just called idols. It's placing hope in something that is going to bring me this same peace, which we're all searching for, we all want. It's placing hope in something, saying that I believe that this thing is going to bring me ultimate peace. We do it in relationships, maybe the most heavy. And I would say that even in this room, if you have a a great wife or a great husband, it's the most dangerous place that you can live to try to find peace. Because the reality is, is my wife, and I'll speak to her personally, I love Debbie and she is absolutely incredible. She's not the source of peace in my life. And if I put that on her, she will fail me as I will fail her. Because I am not Jesus. I don't have it all together. I know you think I do. I don't. I don't have it all together. I don't come through on everything. And there is not one person in this world in which we can find our peace. So kids, if you're, if you're, if, if you're under the age of 20, just hear me on this, please. Stop looking for peace in somebody else because you'll never, ever find it. And if you do, at 25, you'll find your life in a place you never wanted it to be. Anybody that's older, tell them amen this morning. Those are seasoned folks right there. Those were some deep amens. <laughs> See, there's an angelic response that, that peace on earth, and now the angels, see, they know what's up. They know what's happening. They know that a savior has come. And so the angels have a lot to tell us in this, that there's something profound in this person of Jesus. He is not just another guy being born in this world, but he is unique and he is different. He is one of a kind. He is the source of a peace that we long for. And what they're declaring is peace has come. And peace has come because the wrath of God is going to be appeased in this man. That God's wrath will be poured out on Jesus. And there's a declaration here. There's no more bulls. There's no more goats being slaughtered. There's no more offerings in this way. There is a final offering now that has entered into this earth, and his name is Jesus, and he is going to fulfill all that God has said in time and history. And so there's this angelic response of the fullness, peace on earth with whom he is pleased, meaning that the pleasure of God can only be on your life through the person of Jesus because he is the only one who can sufficiently pay the penalty for our sin. He has appeased the wrath of God and brought peace The Wright brothers, when they were trying to build the first plane, they went to the Smithsonian and they said, we need all the books ever written, all the books ever written on flight. And so they, <clears throat> there wasn't a ton, but they got all the books. They were researching what it, what it means, how can we do this? And they came across this French poet. And this French poet had written a lot about flight and the possibilities of it. 
And one of the lines that he used was that the world needs to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of flight. Interesting, huh? And so, in its odd words, right, we use those in church, not in flight. Repent of its unbelief in flight. And so, what do we know, right? We fly all over the world, right? Get on a plane, go see Tim Talley in like 30 hours, right? He's on the other side of the planet. If you don't come here, Tim Talley's our missionary in Thailand. And, like, we can do this. Flight is normative. And at one time, people just thought it was the craziest thing in the world. See, I believe that many of us in this room, although we hear about peace, and if you've been around church so long, you know that we're going to talk about this. You don't really believe it's possible for you. See, I, I believe that the second that you're saved and Jesus speaks over your life, peace, my daughter, peace, my son. Your sins are forgiven. You're whole. You're made new in me. There's another voice that will pop in your head just as quick, and it's the voice of the devil. And he says, not you. You're not good enough. You're too bad. You don't have what it takes. Let me remind you of the many, many, many reasons why. And those reasons probably are valid. Those were who you once were. But the voice of God carries a greater weight. See, peace, I believe, is available And I believe many people in this room need to repent of their unbelief in the possibility of peace. Because it can be yours in Jesus. So what do we take away from this verse? I think first we take away that God alone deserves all the glory. Did somebody shoot me? Uh, So uh, what just happened there? I don't know what just happened. It was like a pop gun. Uh, I just got nervous. Uh, God alone deserves all the glory. See, this is a takeaway, and this is a decision that every person has to make. And, and I'm, if, can I be honest with you today? I, I'm typically not. Let me be honest with you today. <laughs> I don't believe many of us actually believe this. Because the way we live and we talk shows something very, very different. I don't believe a lot of us really believe this because the way we talk and the way we live show something very, very different. God alone deserves all the glory. You know, pardon me with this. If you've been here a while, it's just something you're going to get used to because I'm going to do it every December. But my brother, Mark, passed away three years ago. It was a really profound and difficult time in my life. But one of the lessons I've, I learned from my brother Mark's life, he was 45 years old when he passed away, and he had a year-long battle with cancer. And one of the things, we had this great, like, he went to hospice, and there was this Friday where his pain had been managed, and he had this 45-minute time where we just got to talk, and he was really coherent. And he, he kind of told us the lessons he learned in life. And one of the things that he said, Mark was a, was a really successful guy. People loved my brother. And he said this, he goes, guys, when the glory comes and the praise comes, he said, don't take it. He goes, people want to applaud me and tell me all these things I did for their life. He goes, I didn't do anything. If anything good ever happened from my life, it was all because of God. But then he said, but it's easy. 
It's easy when the praise comes to take it because it feels so good. He goes, but please don't. Because nothing good that we, any of us do are really us. God alone deserves all glory. And I believe we have to make a willful decision to glorify God with our lives. Not just to say simple, trite words. Christians do it all the time. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He got me a a parking spot right up in in front of Acme. Praises, holy name, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, I didn't get stuck in traffic at Belden at Christmas, right? Like, like we, we do these kind of trite, which whatever, right? Maybe you should give your spot to someone else and then praise him. And so all this stuff, like, we, we praise him sometimes for trite things that are whatever. But, but really, in the, in the soul of a man or a woman, where we make a, a willful decision, where we say, with my life, I'm not seeking anything else than salvation, And because of the salvation I receive, I want to glorify you with my hands, with my lips, with my life, with everything that I am. All glory goes to you, God. Glory to God in the highest, the song of our life. It's a a willful decision to deflect receiving glory and praise and honor and applause Because if we're not careful, what do we do? We just live our lives kind of serving the me factory that we can be. Wanting someone to say, well done, good job. And hear me, I I don't hate hearing those things. But the question is, do those things, are they what fill me and motivate me and move me? And by the way, the Bible does say that we should encourage one another. So don't hear that we shouldn't encourage one another. We should encourage one another. It's a willful decision to deflect receiving and a willful decision to reflect all glory to God with our lives. So how we typically remedy this is we remedy it with sort of like this. Someone comes and they like are in a, maybe a really good place, right? And so we, we tend to diagnose people like this. Your your receiving glory is a little too high. And so what we want you to do is we just want you to tame it down a little bit, right? And so what we'd call someone who's receiving glory is too high, what we'd call them, we'd call them, right, like proud. And when we see a proud person, we go, oh, that's bad. Shouldn't be that. So then what happens is all of a sudden they, they knock it down a little bit, and then the next time you meet them, they're like, oh, I'm terrible. Oh, my life. I'm no good, I'm so bad, praise Jesus, right, this kind of, and we go, oh no, oh no, you're too low, right, you're too low, you're too low, so you just got to boost that up a little bit, and so what we end up doing is we kind of juggle between too high and too low, and I believe one of the great, one of the greatest things about the gospel is it's not about being too high or too low, thinking of yourselves, of ourselves, it's about not thinking about ourselves anymore. It's about losing ourselves in God and who he is and what he has done and what he has declared us to be and and how he has moved in our life and saying, all glory be to you, God. My eyes are on you. My eyes are on the cross. My eyes are on what you have done on my behalf. And I don't want to think too high or too low of me anymore because I don't want to think about me anymore. So Paul says it like this, right? Paul says, for this life I now live in the flesh, right? Right? 
But he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live, right? I will live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. It says it in Acts 20, 24, I read it a minute ago, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. It's not about me anymore. One of the lessons we learn from the angels about worship is true worship happens in selflessness, not in selfishness. True worship happens when we simply say, God, you alone deserve all glory, and I want to give it. The second lesson we learn in this, the takeaway, is peace comes only to those in Jesus. Peace, only, peace comes only to those in Jesus. Peace is available on earth for each and every one of us. But again, peace only comes in Jesus. See, I believe there's a peace that we can grab onto and we can hold onto and that is ours if we'll embrace it. I believe there's three threads that if you just grab a hold of them and pull on them from Genesis to Revelation, there's these three common threads that, that define this peace that we can have in him. The first is simply this, the gospel message. The gospel message is from Genesis to Revelation, meaning this, that, that in the beginning, God created everything at perfect peace with him. In the garden, that's how it's described, that we are man with God without thinking of ourselves and are free to walk and be with him. And then man and woman, they sin. And in their sin, there's separation from God. And in this separation from God, the incident happened, God said, I am going to send a savior who is going to destroy the works of the devil and set you back right with God through his sacrificial death on the cross. And that message is repeated all through the Old Testament. There's hope, there's one coming. There's one coming who will be crushed, who will die on the cross, who will pay the penalty of sins. There's one coming. They're looking, waiting for the Messiah in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. There's one that's coming that is going to remedy the world of their sin. And he comes. He's born. And he lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross for our sins. He's buried in a tomb. He raises from the dead. And then he begins to instruct and live and teach. And the movement of the church goes out of this great news of the gospel message. that There is life. There is hope. There is peace. There is <clears throat> future in Jesus himself. And so this gospel message, right, it begins, it ends there, and then this church, it moves forward, this movement, and then in Revelation 20, what we see is that there's an end that's coming. There's an end that is coming. At the end of Revelation, we see that there is going to be perfect peace, a day when Jesus returns and sets all things right. We are with him forever. See, when you pull on this thread of the gospel, this is the thread that is our life, that there is one who came, loved me, and gave himself for me. And he now becomes the affection of my heart and my life that Jesus, because of you, I want to live my life for your glory and for your honor. So oftentimes I've said it like this, that any person in Jesus should write their address in pencil because you never know what he's going to ask you to say, where, you, where, where he's going to ask you to go and what he's going to ask you to do. Because we are his now. We are no longer our own and he has bought us through his blood shed on the cross, he has purchased us into his family. And that's the second thread that you'd see if you pull it from Genesis to Revelation, 
is family. God desperately desires for humanity to be united as family. For some of you, you may think that's, maybe it's not a great word. Maybe this time of year, you're like, oh, I gotta be around my family. It's terrible, right? Like, but, but in scripture, there's something, and even in our own lives, we, we long for family and we long for connectedness. And see, God, all through scripture, is calling his people to love and care for one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's Deuteronomy and Leviticus. They're just being quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. There is a desire for God for us to love one another. And in Christ, we become a family. And there is a peace that can be attained in being family outside, right, of our bloodlines, but in the new bloodline that we have been purchased into, into Jesus. And I believe that what God is calling us to, if you want to have peace, we have to find family in one another. And you think, nobody treats me like family. Well, it oddly doesn't start there. It starts with each of us choosing to be family. Often around church, we talk about it like this, that I've heard it most of my life, that in, in, the, in the body of Christ, we are to treat each other like family, right? Like that. I, I would change that word. I wouldn't say like, I would say as, because it is the reality. You may have heard me say it like this, so if you cheat on your wife or you cheat on your husband and you sit in my office, I will not be a pastor that simply walks through that. I will sit across from you that you have deeply hurt my sister and we're going to deal with things on those terms because that is reality because in this room, if you are in Jesus, we are family and we are brothers and sisters more than pastors and lay people. We are brothers and sisters and we deal with matters as brothers and sisters as God's word tells us to and I believe there's peace. I don't know if you find it. There is peace knowing that we are a part of a much larger family than we can even dream, think, or imagine and I believe that there's also peace You may not think there's peace here, but I believe there's peace in mission. See, God hasn't left us alone to just kind of twiddle our thumbs and do what we want. But Jesus came on mission, and God has sent us on mission. And there's a peace found when we are doing the will of the Father on earth. And I believe that peace really isn't found out of the gospel, outside of family, and outside of mission. And so oftentimes we're kind of trying to find peace somewhere in the faith and we can't find it. We keep going to church every Sunday and we keep sitting in seats and we keep listening to messages and we keep doing these other things. But I, I promise you that the Christian message isn't to be listened to, isn't about sitting in seats, but it's about standing up. It's about going out in life. It's about finding peace where you walk around, where you live, where you work, where you play in the gospel of what Jesus has done in the family of God that I'm loving others and I'm, I'm inviting others to be a part of my life and I'm opening up and I'm being vulnerable and I'm finding peace in those that have surrounded me and that I'm surrounding myself with that I can love in a mission that if we're going forward that Jesus says this gospel will preach to the ends of the earth to, to all the earth and the end will come. There's this mission that's going forward to unreached and unengaged peoples, to people in our own society, our neighbors, where we live, again, where we work, where we play. There's this mission that is happening with our lives and in that mission we find peace because we are finally in our lives doing the will of the Father rather than just doing all the stuff we want to do on our bucket list. He makes a bucket list for us. Peace is found in Jesus. And so the question ultimately in this text would be this. Have you found his good pleasure? Notice what the verse says. Glory to God in the highest 
and on, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Are you an object of his good pleasure? Have you repented of your sins and turned in faith and accepted that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin on the cross and only by his sacrifice can you be in him? If you've never done that, then you do not have his peace. But I tell you today, it's available to you if you will repent and turn in faith. We're about to sing a song, and the song is called Prince of Peace. And I hope as we sing this song, it's a response to wherever you might find yourself today. I believe that in this room, in the day and age we live, there's a lot of fears that surround us in life. And my hope for each and every one of us this Christmas season, but maybe just right here today in response to this text, is that we would move in a place in our life of recognizing that peace is found only in Jesus. Not in my ability to be right or wrong. Not in my ability to achieve or to not achieve. Peace is not found in rallying everybody onto my side for a subject or an issue. Peace is found in Jesus. And as we live that out, peace is perpetually found in his gospel message. And I hope none of us ever get tired of hearing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Peace is found in genuine, true family that walks in humility, recognizing there is only one person who has put our feet on this rock, and his name is Jesus. And together we stand on that rock. There's peace that is found that life is no longer about my trite, puny little pursuits, but I have been given the most grand commission from God on high to fulfill his mission of every man, woman, and child having access to this great news of the gospel. Peace is found in Jesus. Might we consider where our peace is found today and respond appropriately? Maybe you came into this room and peace of Jesus was all over you and it's gonna keep on you and you were encouraged today, praise God. Maybe you came into this room and peace was distant. It was something you knew at one time but it has become very distant in your heart and life. I hope God, I hope Jesus in these moments as we respond comes and meets you where you are and he fills you with his peace in a new and fresh way today. Maybe you're someone who's never actually experienced the peace of God in your heart and life. I encourage you. Do the thing that I did in my life. I repented of my sins and I said, God, I have have failed you in every way. I have rebelled from your rule and your reign and I'm done. Jesus, I believe you died for me. My life is yours. Whatever you want to do in me, do it. Greatest prayer I ever prayed. Say it like this, I got a hold of a freight train that I had no idea I was grabbing a hold of. And it's been the greatest journey of my life and I can't wait to see what's next. And I believe that's true for you if you've never believed. You can grab onto that freight train today and experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, help us respond well today. Jesus, we believe that your peace isn't distant. 
but it's right here, right now. Lord, I believe that there's many that are in this room that that in their hearts they want to reach out and grab your peace. Lord, but something's hindering them from that. Lord, I pray you'd free them in your name, Jesus, today. I pray you'd help them in your name, Jesus, today. I pray that you'd break down walls today in our hearts and our lives. I pray you'd shut up the voices that spoke over us that we could never be good enough, that we could never achieve, we could never be. And we'd we'd hear your voice today. We'd hear your voice claiming that in you that we can have victory, that in you we can have peace, in you we can live lives of meaning and purpose, in you we can proclaim glory to God in the highest. In you, on this earth, we can have peace only through your pleasure. We thank you, Jesus, for bearing our sin, our punishment on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for claiming us and making us new. Might you help us to possess your enduring peace in a world that's full of fear. Help us respond, I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.